Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was coming, going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. And again, let us pray. O Lord, may the meditations of all our hearts and may my words be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. In the last week, I've gotten some more Facebook friends that I see here today, and some of you have actually already seen something I'm going to talk about here. Something I had not seen until doing a little research. You see, I never saw Yantic Falls. I was living in New London, Connecticut in the summer of 1976, and never having been in that area of the country, I tried to get around and see places nearby, as you might imagine. For example, I toured the home of a, an actor who was famous for playing Sherlock Holmes on Broadway. He came up with the early version of that elementary, dear Watson. His name was William Gillette. He was an eccentric widower who had lots of money, and he used a big chunk of it to build a castle kind of house that showed his unusual taste, including a small outdoor railroad. It's like having your own amusement park. <laughs> it's a state park now. Well, another time I got over to Norwich, Connecticut, and uh, I went looking for what I'd read about, that if you ever went to Na Norwich, you should see the Yantic Falls. And I, Well, I went looking for them. You know, here in North Carolina, 
we have so many beautiful waterfalls and and if you stop at any of the rest stops on the way to the mountains or out on the interstate you'll see we've got all kinds of brochures and maps and if you go to the area all kinds of signs that tell you how to get to them but that was not the way it was at least in those days in Norwich, Connecticut. I couldn't find it. So after a while I saw a policeman on the street and I went up to him and asked him for directions. He, he took off his hat and scratched his head and finally he said, you can't get there from here. <laughs> well, you know, I was younger then, and so I just had to ask, how can I get to a place from which I can get there? And you know what he said? Move along, buddy. <laughs> it's like, you've had your one question. Well, I thought about that experience when I was studying this parable about a hapless traveler on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. The traveler in the parable couldn't complete the trip because of robbers. Well, today you couldn't exactly complete that trip either because there's a high wall on the road. And those areas around Jerusalem, they have high walls. And I'm not talking about like that little wall that goes around Duke University's east campus that you could just hop over. Or one of these uh, walls that, are, you know, the... You always see in the movies the, the athletes or athletic spies or whatever, they go leaping, climbing over these high walls. I'm talking about a one that's tall as this church steeple out here with razor wire on top. You would not be able to get over that wall. Well, the Jericho Road was dangerous to travel in Jesus' day and in modern Middle East, well, it's not a very safe place to be either, is it? This passage from Luke is, in a way, it's a story within a story. First, there's a lawyer who asked Jesus a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, what is it you've read in the scripture? And the lawyer quotes from, it's Deuteronomy 6. The fourth and fifth verses say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. They call that the Shema because Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And remember, that's how that verse started, hear, O Israel. And it's something they said frequently. So he would know that one by heart. Well, the lawyer also refers to a part of Leviticus that says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus essentially says, good answer. Do that. But the lawyer asks a follow-up question. And who is my neighbor? You know, you could think of the lawyer as kind of checking the fine print, right? You know what fine print is? Fine print defines the difference between education and experience. Education is what you get when you read the fine print, and experience is what you get when you don't. 
but that who is my neighbor? That's the question that prompts the parable about a man going down a road, not just any road, but that dangerous road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And as I said, that road's still around. Now, one fellow walked apart at least to the wall, and it said it took him about eight hours to go that 15 miles or 18 miles. Depends on where you, where you start and stop, I guess. But the, it's, a, it's a road that has a dramatic drop. A traveler descended from Jerusalem's height of 2,500 feet above sea level to Jericho's depth, 825 feet below sea level. So that's a good, that's pretty close to a, a good portion of a mile, isn't it? It's kind of like that. I imagine what my daughter is traveling to Asheville today and or to Montreat and. Uh, and if you've ever been to the you've been to the mountains, you know what a dramatic rise that is from Old Fort up to the Continental Divide. I expect it to drop like that, maybe even more. Well, now one commentator suggested that the traveler himself he just really wasn't very savvy. He wasn't real smart, not all that personally responsible. Because after all, if you think about it. Who would go traveling this dangerous, winding road by themselves? You'd want to take a buddy or some protection, somebody help you watch out. Maybe somebody big and armed or something. So he was easy prey for robbers who beat him up. He took his stuff and left him for dead. Think about that situation. Have you ever been... By the side of the road, I have with a flat tire and we didn't have a spare or something. And watching all the cars go by and wishing somebody would stop and help you. <coughs> well, in the parable, you remember, first a priest came by and then a Levite, but neither one of them stopped to help. And then a third person came by and lo and behold, he stops and helps the wounded traveler. He doesn't just give him first aid and say, good luck, buddy. No, he also puts him on his animal, he takes him to an inn, and he pays for the whole thing and says, anymore, I'll pay you what's left. Now, you know, most of Jesus' parables have a, a twist, a surprise, something that the, at least the original hearers just would not see coming. The surprise here is that the person who helped that hapless traveler wasn't a priest, wasn't a Levite, but a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were Jews, sort of, but they worshipped not in Jerusalem at the temple, but at Mount Gerizim. You don't need to know all the history. It's sufficient for you to know the Jews didn't have much use for the Samaritans. They didn't associate with them. They didn't like them. They didn't see them as people worthy of respect. And yet it was the despised Samaritan, not the priest, not the Levite, who rescued that hapless, naked, robbed, half-dead victim by the side of the road. Well, in fact, if you read earlier in this chapter in Luke, they were one of the Samaritan's villages had been 
uh, rejecting of uh, what the Jesus and the disciples were saying. And the disciples, their first impulse was said, Lord, you want us to pray and then bring fire on them and destroy them? And of course, Jesus said, no, let's not do that. <laughs> For us to get a grip on the point of the parable, it's not so important to know all the history. What is important is to think about who would be the Samaritan for you and me today. What group or kind of person would you and I just hate to see coming to help us out if we were in that victim situation? Well, just for example, I know some of you Tar Heel fans would hate to see somebody showing up in a Duke outfit, wouldn't you? <laughs> or vice versa. And since I have two degrees from state, I won't say anything about state. <laughs> on, a, on a more serious level, all of us have some groups or kinds of people we don't really care for. We don't relate to them. We don't associate with them. There's some groups that we see as them and not us. So what keeps us from helping when we see need? Well, fear can stop us. I remember a, a cold, dark Christmas Eve, and my family was headed home from a family donor on my uncle's farm. He called it seldom rest. Anyway, we were traveling that. There's a lonesome road between Vidette and Gulf, Georgia. It's not as big as Highway 210 out here. And out in the middle of the road, there was a huge man struck, staggering. He's waving his arms and moving in a way that did not call divine the word sober. <laughs> well, my father slowed the car down and was pulling to a stop, and my sister, who had gone out of state to college, so she knew a lot. She knew about the world out there. Said, uh, "Daddy, be careful. It might be a trick." And sometimes, sometimes that is a trick. People pull as they act like somebody's a victim, and then they attack the person that helps. Well, that's, fortunately, it wasn't that way there. It turned out the man's car had rolled over off the road and into a ditch. 911 had already been called, so that kind of help was on the way, but the man's wife was trapped in her seat upside down. She was in pain and terrified and loudly letting us know about it. So my parents tried to help her and the father. And me, well, I was a psychology major in college, and I'd, I'd worked a whole summer in a mental health center in the children's division, so I volunteered to take the children into the warmth of our car and try and comfort them because they were terrified. They had been in the car that had just rolled over, and they knew their mama was in trouble, and that they knew what a bad situation it was. We didn't do anything as dramatic as the Samaritan. We didn't do anything as dramatic as the good Samaritans in this church tried to do to help the fellow that had the wreck near here just a month ago. But we did bring some comfort to a family who really needed comfort that night. But you know, fear could easily have sent us on down the road without stopping to help. Well, we do have to have a sense, a measure of common sense. You remember when Jesus sent the disciples out, he told them, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. 
So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Well, another reason sometimes we don't help is we're busy. Being busy can keep us from helping. There were some social psychologists who back in the 70s did an experiment in which they told seminary students that they needed to go next door in another building on campus there. And some of them they told to go do a talk on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and some of them they told, we've got undergraduates over there, we need you to go do a talk on, you know, the kinds of jobs seminary graduates can do because they do things in addition to being pastors and ministers, they're missionaries, and they do lots of other, other kinds of things as well. Now some of them were told, uh, oh man, you're already running late, we need to hurry. And some of them were told, well, just go on over. Well, guess what? Between the buildings, all these seminary students, and they went over, would encounter a a shabbily dressed person slumped by the side of the road, kind of like in our story. And the findings, well, it didn't matter whether the seminarians, they'd done some checking on their personality on the test. It didn't matter why they said they wanted to go into ministry. It didn't matter whether they'd asked to do a talk on the Good Samaritan or on occupations. You know what mattered? If they thought they were running late, they weren't as likely to help. The group that thought they had plenty of time, 63% of them, almost two-thirds, stopped to help the man. In the hurried group, only 10% stopped to help. So sometimes we don't help because we're in too big a hurry. Another reason we don't stop and help sometimes is we don't perceive the need. I think especially when we're so focused on our own needs, our own selves. We can fail to see the needs of others around us. And one more reason we don't help. Sometimes we just don't like the person who's needy. They don't have the right attitude. They're grumpy. They don't seem very likely to say please, much less thank you. Or maybe it looks to us like, you know, they brought their troubles on themselves. Kind of like that traveler in our parable that Jesus told. Now go back. Do you remember the first thing I said that Connecticut cop told me when I was looking for Yantic Falls in Dorwich? You can't get there from here. The goal of loving neighbor is not a destination that we can get to if we start from the wrong place. When we're in the wrong place, we say, me and mine first, and too bad about the rest of you. We're in the wrong place if we say, I ain't helping you, you should have known better. Maybe if you'd looked and talked more like me, I might be more inclined to help, but, uh, you know. When we are in the wrong place, we let our biases and our excuses be like that wall on the modern Jericho Road, tall, concrete, topped with razor wire. 
I always said, you know, when it comes to excuses, one just as good as another, isn't it? Well, when we're in the wrong place, we say, hey, I would if I could, but I got things to do, places to be. I can't be bothered. Too big a hurry. When we're in the wrong place, we say, hey, Lord, you know, you can love everybody, but me, I got my limits. When we're in the wrong place, we say, I feel for you, man, I really do, but don't expect me to do anything about that feeling. Jesus told the lawyer to love God and neighbor. When the lawyer wanted to quibble about just exactly who qualified to be the neighbor so that he could do what he, we sometimes do ourselves, that is rationalize not taking action, not doing the loving thing. Jesus shifted the focus from who qualifies as my neighbor to what behavior qualifies as loving the way that God wants us to love. Jesus took that lawyer's little question and he moved the topic to the big question. Much as we're inclined to, much as we sometimes want to, we really can't call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ and go around dividing the world in those two groups, them and us. It's just us. Jesus has told us to love God and neighbor, and brothers and sisters, he has told us that all, every single one of God's children, all of them, are our neighbors. Thanks be to God.